If you could leave somebody that you loved with one last piece of advice, I wonder what that piece of advice would be. If you imagine for a second maybe sending your children off to college as they departed to embark on the world without you, what piece of advice would you leave them with? Or watching soldiers bored to be deployed, if you could tell them anything, what would it be? We began last week a study through the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy is written by Moses, and it follows the same pattern. Moses, who has spent the last 40 years of his life leading the people of Israel through the wilderness, is leaving them. He's preparing to watch them depart from him, and he's giving them one final last piece of advice. Love God. That's what he has to say. The last piece of advice that the great nation leader Moses left for his people is love God. Really, the whole motive of Deuteronomy chapter 6 is to call the people of Israel back into a relationship, one, in which they love God, but two, to prompt them to obey God. And that's as a consequence of the love that they have for, for Him. Proceeding chapter 6 and chapter 5, Moses recounts the Ten Commandments that were given to the nation as they left Egypt. If you look back really fast at Deuteronomy chapter 5, just look at verses 6 through 8. We'll look at the first two commandments as they are recounted. Moses says, well, rather, God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or bow down to them, or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the Father on the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my Commandments. God describes Himself in giving the Ten Commandments as a jealous God. The first commandment, to have no other gods but God. The second commandment, to not make an idol. To not worship an idol. Because God is a jealous God. When we think about the word jealousy, a lot of times I think it stirs up for us negative connotations. A jealous person or a person who is green, a person who has envy, that's a negative character trait. Somebody that's not content with the life that they have. But let me be clear. God, in describing Himself, is not giving us a negative character trait. When he describes himself as a jealous God, it comes from the same word that describes zeal. Zealousness. In fact, it all comes back to the word love. 
Because God is so zealous in loving his people. There is no room for him to be able to tolerate idolatry in any form. God describes himself as jealous, but I think a better description, at least for our understanding, is God's big love for us makes him that way. It's not a negative character trait. It's actually emphasizing how much God loves us. And so as we move to the text that we'll study this morning, I want to carry with us this understanding of the word jealous. If you will, turn with me to the passage that we are studying. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're looking at just one verse this morning. Verse 4. Now, with that said, I really can't just read one verse because we have to understand the bigger context of what we're reading around. So if you're reading along with me, and I invite you to do that, I will be reading from verse 4 all the way to verse 9. Maybe 10. We'll see. But keep in mind, we are only studying this morning verse 4. Does that make sense? We're all good? Okay, good. All right, here If you will, turn with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and read along with me as I read out loud. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This passage of Scripture, you might have heard me refer to it as the Shema. The Shema. I've either referred to it as the Shema in another Bible study, or I did it last week, even though it wasn't in my notes. But the Shema is a pretty significant portion of Scripture. In fact, the word sh- the, the, the Shema most likely is the first piece of scripture that a Hebrew boy would have been taught to memorize as they went to Hebrew school. Drop that into context, what that means. Jesus most likely studied this as a man first. In fact, we see the importance of this passage of scripture in Jesus's life in the way that he responded when asked, teacher, teacher, what is the most important of the law? What's the most important commandment? And Jesus' response came from Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your heart, and with all your might. Because in this one commandment, it encompasses, well, in this commandment and the second, which is to love people, uh, it encompasses the whole of the law. Jesus taught us that. Shema. It's the Hebrew word for listen or to hear. It's the first word found in Deuteronomy 6.4. 
Shema. Listen. Incline your ears. Pay attention. Don't forget this. When we think about the word listen, I say it a lot around my house, especially as Charlotte moves from a one-year-old to a two-year-old. I find myself saying, Charlotte, listen to me. Pay attention to what I'm saying. Not only that, obey what I'm saying. Listen. This is God's word. This is the message that he's given to us. It's a message with significant, I'm sorry, with an important significance in that it holds everything together. That we love God. Listen. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Listen, because God's word is intended to be spoken. It's spoken, and we are to hear it. Listen, as a child is told to listen. The first part of this that I want us to remember is that we should incline our ears to what God has to say. Not only that, but we should incline our hearts to being able to understand what God has to say. And it's not only that, but that we do it often. It isn't enough just to hear God's word. We have to hear it often. We have to allow it to take permanence in our lives. If you look down at the the verses that we read, the part that I said was context. I don't want to study this too much this morning because we'll study it in more detail as we come to it. But if you look at verses 6 through 8, Israel is told to listen and to keep God's word in such a way they're they're told to diligently teach it to their children. That's in verse 7. They're told to talk about God's word whenever they sit down in their house and when they walk by the way. They're told to listen to God's word, to talk about it whenever they lie down, to go to sleep, and when they rise up, to wake up. Like I said, we'll talk about this more as we come to it, but the literary element being used here by contrasting two opposites, sitting down and standing up, laying down and waking up, is making a clear picture that we're supposed to be talking about God's Word and listening to God's Word then and every time in between. Whether you're sitting down or standing up, you should be talking about God's Word. If you're stationary or you're on the move, God's Word should be on your lips and in your mind. If you're laying down to go to bed, if you're waking up, God's word should be evident in what you say and speak and think about. In fact, maybe you should even be dreaming about God's word. 
The Shema reminds us to listen, to hear and to heed what God has instructed and commanded us to do. This morning, as we begin studying this passage, and we've already begun, but as we begin to dive into verse 4, we should be careful to make sure that we take heed and listen to the importance of this first commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Looking at the remainder of verse 4, there's a distinction. There's two phrases that stand out to us. The first one, if you're looking at the English Standard Version version of the Bible that I'm reading from, or also the Christian Standard Version of the Bible, it delineates two interpretations of this one phrase. The first one, the Lord our God. The second one, the Lord is one. The King James Version of the Bible, or another word-for-word translation, normally is only going to have one. If you're reading a King James Version of the Bible, it's probably, well, I know, it is translated, the Lord our God is one. There's no distinction or two phrases. It's important for us to note that there's two understandings or interpretations that come from this verse of Scripture. Both of them are relevant and true. Both of them are true. And that's why the English Standard Version, the Christian Standard Bible, both translate it with two different phrases to draw um, attention to these two different understandings. The first one, let's talk about this first phrase, the Lord our God, period. The Lord our God. The Lord, coming from the Hebrew word Yehovah. This is the personal covenant name of God. Remember, this is Moses writing to a group of people that he has led, that he has loved, that he has watched over, that he has cared for. And more importantly, this is God inspiring him to leave them with this guiding light as they leave Moses' leadership to enter the promised land. We are reminded of God's covenant relationship with His chosen people. Jehovah, the one who made a covenant with the nation of Israel and in doing so has expectations of them. Not only does He have plans for them to prosper in the promised land, but He demands their obedience. It's an exchange. He wants their faithfulness to Him. And we find Jehovah is Elohim, or He is God. Jehovah is God. The one who made this covenant relationship with us is God. He is our personal God. He has a, we have a special relationship with Him because we are His chosen people. He's chosen the nation of Israel, out of all the nations in the world. And and for what reason? Was it because they were great in number? Was it because they had the best land to offer? It was because of neither of these. It was because God's sovereign choice decided to choose the nation of Israel who was both few in number and had no land of their own possession. 
the special relationship that he formed with them establishes God not just as the magnificent creator of the universe, the one who spun the world into order, the one who formed every intricate law of nature, the one who makes everything bind together and not spin into chaos. He's not just this magnificent being. He's our God. He's our Lord. Not only do we belong to Him, but He belongs to us. The issue evident in the Bible is that sin in our lives separates us from God. Remember, I've said Moses is working towards the point of prompting the nation of Israel not to obey God's word, but not in a sense of they are. It's not a compulsion. They're not trying to, with their own force or their own might or their own willpower, causing themselves to obey God's word. It's out of a love and a reverence for God, the one that they know personally as Jehovah, to obey him. That's why loving God comes before obeying God. If you study Deuteronomy, chapter 7 is all about obeying God. We're talking in verse 6 where we are prompted to love God. The great commandment, the commandment Jesus said was the most important, that we love God with our whole hearts. And here it is. The problem with sin is that it separates us from Him, that it keeps us separated from Him, that it's only by God's grace that it's possible for us to have a relationship with Him. The, the, the fact of the matter is that we have to run towards God's grace in love that, in understanding the love that He has for us. The problem in understanding that the Lord is our God, that God has a personal relationship with us, that He wants a personal relationship with us, is that we cannot sit idly by and be Christians. We cannot come to church and have a and be religious and go home and not be religious and have a personal relationship with God. We cannot know God as Jehovah if what we do all the days of our life, whether we're sitting down or we're walking by the road, doesn't reflect the way that He wants us to live. And it all starts with love. I'm, I'm, I don't want to harbor on any specific commandment except one. I do want to talk about idolatry, but I'll get to that here in just a little bit. But the first commandment, Love God. Know Him personally. I said that first phrase, Jehovah is Elohim. Elohim's the general word for God. Jehovah is personal. It's like a stranger coming into church and saying, Pastor, as if they know me. Those of you that do know me, you know. You're able to come to me and you're able to say, Brother Derek. 
And Michelle, who knows me really well, knows just how nerdy I am. And she can look at me and she can almost read my mind because she knows me so well. She sees whenever the, the, the right side of my lip curls up just enough that I think something's funny that I can't explain to anyone else. And I've tried to explain it to Michelle so many times, she knows exactly what I'm laughing at. You know what it means to know somebody, to really love somebody. There's a difference. When a stranger calls me pastor, they're referring to me by a a position, by an office. It's important and it's significant, but God doesn't want that kind of a relationship with his people. He doesn't want us to call him God. He teaches us his name is Jehovah, God of the covenant, the God who wants a personal relationship with us. In fact, the God who made it possible for us to have a personal relationship with him. Church is not enough to have a personal relationship with God. A personal relationship with God means that we are consumed. Our thoughts are consumed, overwhelmed, constantly dwelling on the magnitude of God's great love for us, that he wants us to call him Jehovah. Be an involved participant in your relationship with God. There is no such thing as an idle Christian. I said that there's a second phrase or sentence that we can look at. And that is that God is one. That God is one. I have to break this one out because one can actually mean two different things. In the Bible, where it says the Lord our God is one, the Lord is one, one can mean first that God is first. We know this. If you've spent any time around a Christian, you understand that the teaching is that God existed before all things. He created all things. He comes first. The first one I want to look at is that our God is the eternal one, that he is the one that created everything. And if I was thinking through my preaching lesson or the the sermon outline, that probably would have gone before the other one, but I obviously didn't think about it. Because God wants a personal relationship with us, but he also wants us to know who he is. He's the one. He's the one who formed everything. He's the one who put everything into order. He's the one that makes everything possible. In fact, what the Bible says, if you look at what Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, is that there's no excuse for any person in this world not to know God because God is evident in creation. Everything we need to know about God has already been revealed to us in creation. What Paul's talking about is natural revelation. When you walk outside, we, if you go for a drive, I didn't realize how pretty it was around Greenwood. We just moved here in September and haven't been able to leave the house. We've been putting some miles on the car this week. 
It is so beautiful here. I'm overwhelmed with the, with the, the skylines. Like what it means to actually live in a valley, it is incredible. And God formed every bit of that down to the individual tree. In fact, down even to a deeper level to that, down to the individual leaves hanging on a tree. And he put it all together and he pieced it together and he made all of this possible. And, and the laws of science say that all systems that are spun into order, if left unattended, spin into chaos. Right? That's one of the laws of thermodynamics. I know I'm not saying it right, but if, 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 if you spin something into order, it eventually turns into chaos. And all of this magnificence, the, 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 the skylines, everything that's there, it's not spinning into chaos. It's holding together. The very laws of nature are disobeying themselves because there's not chaos. Because God's holding it all together. God is the one. He is powerful. He's so powerful, He doesn't even need us. And this is what should really compel us to love God and to know what it means to love God. He created us not needing us. He asks for our faithfulness, but he doesn't need our faithfulness. He asks for our faithfulness because he wants what is best for us. And he knows that having a relationship with the one who made all things spin into existence is for our own benefit. What a God. My personal God. Jehovah. He knows that having a relationship with Him means more for us than anything we could possibly put in perspective in our lives. He knows that it's more important. Because when we weigh it in the balance of eternity, we see just how big this picture is. I asked this morning as I began, if you could give somebody as they left one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? When we think about our children, we think, what do we want for our children? If we define success, how do we define success? Is it money? Is it morality? Is it doing what's right? Is it popularity? Prominence and significance? Is it a legacy? Is it having a monument erected in our name? Is it being talented? Is it, is it being able to play on the varsity football team? Is it being talented maybe in the arts? We talk about what we want for our children. In fact, most often when we brag about our children, these are the things that we list. They're doing this, they're doing that. By the way, Charlotte... Um, just got accepted into Harvard. We're very proud of her. <laughs> Charlie decided not to go to school. He started his own business. It's now got an IPO. 
Is this really what we want for our children? God came first because he's the most important. God came first because he's the most powerful. Now let's look at it the other way. God is one because he is the only one. He's the only priority and he's more significant than sports. He's more significant than music or a career. He's more significant than wealth, significance, or popularity. Why are we making these things the priority? And someone out there saying that what I'm saying is not true, that you're not making these things the priority, but just think about it. When you brag, what do you brag about? That reveals what's in your heart. When you brag, what are you bragging about? Is it how much your children love God? Or is it the things that they're doing? Let me connect the dots. The Bible says it should be how much they love God. The other things is what Moses is talking about, what God is talking about when he gives us the second commandment that you should have no other gods before me. Music, success, wealth, idols. They stand in the way of worshiping a God. And by the way, they don't matter. And God sees that they don't matter. That's why he says, I'm first. Because when you allow these things to come before God, it's not going to do any good in eternity. The only thing that will matter is that you have a personal relationship with Jehovah, the one who created you because he loves you, because he wants a relationship with you. The only thing that will matter in eternity is not the value of a company's IPO. It's the love that we have for God. Our personal God is one. He's first. He consumes our thoughts. He overwhelms us. He provides for us. And he does not abandon us. I'm looking at my notes and I think I just preached the whole thing. And that's okay. This plane this plane was easy to land. Listen up. Shema. Israel. Before you depart from my leadership, listen to what God has to say. God, who is known as Jehovah, your personal God. Before you leave here, listen to what he has to say. And don't just listen to him now, but listen to him frequently. Keep in your heart one thing. Evaluate everything in your life with this one thing. Do not have any idols. Because the Lord our God is a jealous God. He loves us so much. He wants us to know what it's like to love Him. This morning, 
You might be asking because the application wasn't very clear or whatever. How is it possible for me to love God? The only reason it's possible is because God first loved us. Because God first showed us what love looks like by putting His Son on a tree. Putting Himself on a tree. Coming to live in a world so that He can die in propitiation of our own sins. To cover up the sins that we have that He might be able to have a relationship with us. He makes it possible through that sacrifice. And all it takes is a little bit of faith. I pray this morning that God has reached into your heart. That He has shown you a glimpse of what that love looks like. And it always starts with God, but it requires our response. And it's overwhelming when you accept God's love. If you've never come to a place in your life where you have loved God the way that He's called us to, I want to invite you this morning to come and talk with me. I want to invite you not to wait or put this decision off because it denies logic. You're not going to be able to go home and figure this out in such a way that it's all going to make sense. The way to faith is to surrender to God's overwhelming love, and then it's all going to make sense. This morning, we'll sing a song of invitation, and I ask you to respond to the message, to heed and listen to the message that the Holy Spirit has laid on your heart. Not what I've said, but how have you heard it? And how do you need to respond? We'll stand and we'll sing the song of invitation. But first I ask, would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, I thank you so much for your word, for giving it to us. God, I thank you for loving us. God, I thank you for the people that are here this morning. God, I pray that as we turn to you in worship, that we would be able to sing our love-filled hearts out to you. God, I pray that you would remove from within me the parts of me that you see as hating you. God, I pray that you would form within me a man that you can trust, a man that can love you. God, I pray that I might understand more each day what it means that you love me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.